This today is the third anniversary of the borderline shooting here in Thousand Oaks. It's amazing to, to think about how it has been three years since that incident occurred that took the lives of 12 victims, including the life of Ventura County Sheriff's Sergeant Ron Helis. We have the flags out front flying at half-mast today to just remember and to pray for the families of those victims and pray for our community, pray for law enforcement and first responders who, who experienced so much that night as they came in and throughout the next several days in the aftermath of that. Uh, we have the honor of being joined in this service by um, Sheriff Bill Ayub and his wife, Stacy, and we are so grateful they are with us and worshiping with us in this service. We also personally, for us as a church, lost uh, a dear friend and a part of our church family. Uh, Noelle Sparks uh, was a young woman in her early 20s who was vibrant and active and a part of our Calvary family. She'd been through many of our student ministries, was a part of our young adults ministry, had joined our staff and was ministering to children and middle schoolers and sharing the love of Jesus with the next generation. Uh, her parents, Wendy and Tony, are with us in this service and we want them to know our love and our care for them. And um, Noelle's life impacted so many and they as her parents know that very well. Um, but we, a couple of years ago, two years ago this month, dedicated our new middle school ministry room. And the very night of that shooting when Noelle's life was taken, uh, she had served with children and with our middle school students, leading a small group even, and uh, then went off to borderline after that. And we determined two years ago as we dedicated that new and opened that new middle school ministry room that we would dedicate it in honor and memory of Noelle Sparks. And there is a plaque that hangs in that room, and um, it has a picture there with the plaque. And I want to read to you what the dedication statement is on that plaque. The middle school ministry room is dedicated to the memory of Noelle Sparks. We honor her years of faithful service in middle school ministry as a volunteer team leader, small group leader, camp counselor, worship team leader, and friend. Her commitment to share the love of Christ has inspired middle schoolers as well as children and adults to live and love like Jesus. Noelle's life touched so many. The lives of many of these victims affected so many people and touched so many lives. It's no wonder for us that that ministry is thriving right now because of the impact of lives of folks who serve. Our middle school ministry is thriving and growing, having some of its largest attendance in, in our over 45 years of history here as a church. And I want us to be reminded of the impact of these lives. We wanna thank those who are first responders and those who are in law enforcement who are on the front lines. We so appreciate your service to our community and uh, we're so grateful for the sheriff and the sheriff's department and all that went on uh, that night to care for those who had been, uh, had their lives taken uh, so abruptly and so horrendously. I also know that tomorrow begins the three-year anniversary of the Wolsey and Hill fires. Remember, one day was a shooting, the next day we had fires that swept through our community. Three people died in those fires that took place between November 8th and 21st. Over 1,600 homes and other buildings were destroyed. Almost 9,000 acres were burned. And again, uh, first responders and law enforcement and emergency rescue and fire department personnel were all involved in that. 
and we are grateful. I want to just stop and pray for those who keep us safe in terms of serving in our, our military. I want to pray for the continuing impact of what the borderline shooting meant to our community and the families directly affected. I want to pray for the lingering effects of the fires. We continue, by the way, we are still working with some families three years later. We have team members and volunteers who here at Calvary who are still working with families to get them finally settled into homes. We didn't stop after a year or two. It's still a part of who we are and what we're doing as a church. And I want to just pause and pray. Will you pray with me? Father, we think of these things of safety in the world, the protection of our rights, safety of lives at a place that was just a place to gather with others and have fun and the safety of our homes and uh, father we're, we're dealing with things that speak of evil in the world of the brokenness of our world speak of disaster and natural disasters and we look to you father i pray for those families uh, we pray for wendy and tony here with us in this service now may they know your peace and your presence in a very real way we pray for the sheriff and the sheriff's department. We pray for first responders in fire and emergency rescue. We pray for medical personnel who've been so pressed in these last couple of years. We ask, Lord, that you would bring a healing to hearts that are still wounded and heavy. We pray, Father, for those who are still trying to finalize the details of getting into their home or getting reestablished. And Father, we look to you for the hope of tomorrow. We know you have been faithful in the past and we look to you for the hope of tomorrow. Be with those who find this day and these next few weeks to be heavy on their hearts. Be with our military who are serving all around the world, even now, protect them, bring followers of Christ around them, bring chaplains around them who will point them to you and to the grace found in your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we are a grateful people looking to you for the hope of our lives, for the peace that we need day by day, even in the brokenness of this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You talk about those things and we recognize that we live in a world where things can change rapidly. There's stuff on the horizon. There are storm clouds that form that we see often days, weeks, months, years in advance. Then there are those events we didn't see were coming. Right now, if you just look on the horizon, just look at the economic uncertainty in our world. We have talk of inflation and gas prices related to that, of, of labor shortages and supply chain disruptions and housing price prices going up. And, and there are folks who, in the midst of what we're going through right now with everything else in the world, the political tensions and the pandemic protocols and the responses to all of those things, there are people who look on the horizon and they're concerned. You can see why they would be concerned. You take all of that and, and it would be easy to be overwhelmed with worry. Today, we're going to start a four-part series called Financial Peace. With all that's on the horizon, we're going to talk about how do we have financial peace in a world of economic uncertainty. The scriptures say a lot about how we can find peace and we don't have to worry. We begin this series with a, this first message, which is simply panic or peace. And we're going to look at how not just our economic, the economic aspects of our lives do we struggle to have peace in our lives, but all of the stuff, whether it's a medical diagnosis, whether it's a marriage problem, whether it's something going on at work, or it's grappling with the different views of the, of the various protocols and mandates, that, that there's a lot for us to get anxious or to panic about. But God wants for us as his children to be 
beacons of peace. He wants us to experience peace and then to call others to that same peace found in his son. Do you worry? Do you find yourself at times anxious? A Swedish proverb says, worry often gives a small thing a big shadow. Isn't that true? George Washington said, worry is the interest paid by those who borrow trouble. Haddon Robinson said, what worries you masters you. Is there a medical diagnosis, a test that's needed by you or a loved one? Is there something about the bills that are coming in that just seems to have you getting a little worried and concerned? Are there things going on that just, as you watch the news, they seem to overwhelm and crush you and you feel that you're in a panic? If you want to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, you can go there on your mobile device. You can even go to Google and just Google Luke 12, and we'll be looking at verses 22 to 34. As we talk about this idea of worry, and it has an economic aspect, it has a financial aspect, but it has an aspect that goes far beyond that into every aspect of our lives. Now, I want to make a contrast between two concepts here. First is this. When our hearts get overwhelmed by this temporary world and what might happen in it, a destructive panic can easily take control of us in all that we do. When we allow ourselves to get overwhelmed by the temporary things of this world and, and what might happen coming down the road, there is this destructive panic that can set in and it controls us, our hearts, our minds. It keeps us awake at night. It, it can affect all that we can do, all that we do, and it can affect our very relationships. But put in contrast, instead of being overwhelmed by the temporary stuff of this world and the things that might happen, Look at the contrast. When our hearts get obsessed with God's eternal kingdom and what he is doing in and through it, a life-giving peace will permeate all that we are and all that we do. So we have a choice. We can either be overwhelmed by the temporary stuff of this world and the things that might happen, or we can be obsessed with God's kingdom and what he is doing through it. And one is the path to peace when we're obsessed with God and his kingdom. The other is the path to panic and worry and anxiety, and that can have physical, mental, emotional, relational effects that last not just a day, but a lifetime. Let me ask you, is your life marked by panic or peace? We as God's children ought to be here on the planet representatives of the peace we have in the midst of the same storms those who don't know Christ are going through. Are these things hard? Yeah. Do they bring tears? Yeah. Is your life marked by panic or peace? Now, there's a, a, a distinction between being responsible and trying to solve problems, right, and, and taking the next steps to solve problems. There's a distinction between our responsibility and worry. Worry it just obsesses us and it controls us and it dominates every aspect of us. And there's no freedom and no peace in that. Let me also say that I know there are some who are dealing with clinical anxiety and depression. Maybe it goes beyond the life struggle and for you there's something biological or something due to trauma that causes you to have worry and anxiety and maybe even panic or panic attacks. I get that. That's why we have a care ministry that involves connecting people to good licensed therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists in our community. And, and we recognize that can be a mental health issue that needs to be addressed. And so if you find yourself in that category and are looking for resources, please contact us. 
contact Pastor Steve Day, who leads our care ministry. We want to help you and walk with you through that. Many of us are dealing with the struggle of everyday life when it comes to worry and anxiety. What we do with worry determines if we live in panic or peace. What we do with worry determines whether we are obsessed with God's kingdom and what he is doing in and through it or we are obsessed with the problems of this temporary world and the things that might happen to us. I want us to look at these words of Jesus in Luke 12, excuse me. These are the words that Luke records from the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't the whole Sermon on the Mount, but this is a significant section of it. And so we'll be looking at Luke chapter 12. And I want us to see five things from what Jesus says about worry. Five things we need to know about worry and and how we deal with worry in our lives. Number one, worry never accomplishes anything. It only frustrates everything. Worry never accomplishes anything. It's very different than peaceful problem solving. It frustrates our relationships. It frustrates our work culture. It frustrates our church life. It can frustrate our families and our marriages. It can leave us feeling worry. It can frustrate us to the point we feel like God doesn't even care about me. God really doesn't love me. Am I, am I still his child? Am I still in his care? Worry never accomplishes anything. It only frustrates everything. Irma Bombeck said, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never gets you anywhere. Luke 12, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Isn't it interesting? He says, who of you can add a single hour to your life? We all did last night, right? (laughs) That's just a mental game, you know. We're not actually getting an extra hour in this. Jesus says, don't worry. And he goes to the very basic things of food and water and clothing. Don't worry. Look at the birds. God is taking care of them. They don't have ways to grow things. They don't go out and grow their food in the fields. They don't have barns to store up. They just have to rely on God. And he says, How much more valuable are you? As he's talking to his disciples and the crowd that's gathered around him on that hillside near the Sea of Galilee, sharing this message with them. He says, you are more valuable than the birds. God cares about you. You don't have to worry. Worry never accomplishes anything. It only frustrates everything. So what do we do with that? Jesus says, you are valuable. God cares about you. You're more valuable than any other aspect of creation and he takes care of creation. So rest in God's care even when you can't feel his love. Worry will make you so frustrated you think God doesn't love him anymore. Paul said in Romans 8, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, period. 
And yet worry will make us think, God has forgotten me. The justice I deserve has escaped the notice of my God. What I should have in life, God doesn't get it. When you feel that way, you take your care and your burden, you take it to him. I like how Psalm 55, 22 is paraphrased by Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase the message. Pile your troubles on God's shoulders. He'll carry your load. He'll help you out. He'll never let good people topple into ruin. I like that. Pile your troubles onto God's shoulders. This same verse would be quoted by Peter in the New Testament. He would say, cast all your care on him. Why? Because he cares for you. When you feel like God doesn't love you, that's when you say, okay, God, this is yours. You tell me you care for me. Sometimes when I pray over a problem, whether it's in my personal life, as a pastor, I'm trying to sort things out as a leader. I physically, as I pray, I physically take my hands and I say, okay, God, this is yours again, this family thing, this financial thing, this stuff on the horizon financially that could affect my personal budget, could affect the church's budget, could affect uh, our community. And I turn it over and I over it. And sometimes I feel guilty because, okay, this is the you know, 122nd day in a row I've turned the same thing over to you. God never gets tired of you piling your troubles on his shoulders. He can handle it. The more I even physically, I just encourage you to pray, just physically think of your burdens and worries and take them and go, okay, Lord, this is you. It's on your shoulders. Maybe push it off of my shoulders onto your shoulders. You said to do that. You will take care of me. Rest in God's care even when you can't feel his love. Just keep casting that care on him. Secondly, worry never grows our faith. It only shrinks it. If you want to grow and thrive in your faith, worry is not going to help you. Worry will take you in the opposite direction of a growing, thriving, flourishing faith. It will only shrink your faith. Look what Jesus says in Luke 12, 27 to 28, as he continues what he's saying to his disciples and those gathered there. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. The richest, greatest king wasn't dressed as these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? He's saying, you've got small faith, guys, and I want you, as we walk together, to grow your faith. And you've got to understand that if he's taking care of the flowers so they are so beautiful, they, they don't do anything to bring about their beauty, but they are a temporary part of this world. You are much more valuable than that. God is going to provide for you. Worry never grows our faith. It only shrinks it. So trust in God's provision even when you don't see his hand. Sometimes we get very worried because we don't have the things needed. We don't have the connections with the right people to, to get through this storm we think is about to happen. And, and, and we, we, we can't see God's hand in the storm. We don't see what he's doing, what he's providing, how he's going to work in his time, in his way. And so we panic. But that's what we've got to trust in God's provision. Even when we can't see his hand. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Boy, just memorize that part of the verse, right? Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. This is with a grateful heart. God, as we just sang, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Why, why is that phrase? That's an old theological phrase. It says we can trust Christ 
for what's coming because we have known Christ to be faithful in the past. And so there is a gratitude we bring into our prayer. Then, verse 6 says, then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. Jesus said to his disciples, the peace I'm giving you comes from me and my Father. It's not like anything in the world. In our world, people can only have peace based on their circumstances and their relationships with other people, and those are such uncertainties and ups and downs. But we who know Jesus can have his peace. It's a peace that comes from God. It is a divine peace. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Guard your hearts and minds from what? From anxiety and worry when you allow his peace to settle into your heart. I meet people who say, Pastor, I got this thing. It's a problem. Even last night after I preached this service, a man came out and he told me about a problem. I said, won't we stop and pray right now? He said, oh, you've got much more important things to pray with the folks in the line about than this. I said, no, 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 what, what, what your burden is is very important. Corey Tim Boom, the Holocaust survivor, wrote this, any concern too small to be turned into prayer is too small to be made into a burden. There are things that seem really puny in my life, if I were to tell you about them, that I take to God every day, every day, every day, every day. I have people say, well, I'm just bothering God. No, you're not. Your burden is never a burden to God. No matter how big or small it is, your burden is never a burden to God. He is ready to take it on himself. He commands us over and over again throughout the scriptures to cast our care upon him, to trust him, to rest in him. Worry never grows our faith. It only shrinks it. So we've got to trust that he's going to provide what we need in the storm that's coming. He'll take care of us. Thirdly, this thing we've got to learn about worry so we can understand how not to be overwhelmed by the temporary stuff of this world and the things that might happen, but we can be obsessed with God's kingdom and what he's doing in and through it. The third thing we need to understand is worry never acknowledges God. It only ignores him. Worry never acknowledges God. It only ignores him. If you want the kind of peace this passage is talking about that Jesus is suggesting here in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus himself promises you, It begins with a foundation of peace in knowing Christ as your Savior. The Scriptures are clear that we don't become Christians, we don't have Christ as our Savior just because of the family we're born into, the country we're born into, or by our good works. As a matter of fact, part of acknowledging God is to recognize we're human beings who are broken and fallen. I am not a follower of Christ because of my good works or my intentions. I'm a follower of Christ. I am God's child. I'm part of his kingdom. I have the foundation of peace as Christ is my savior, all because of what God did through his son for me. And any one of us who know Christ as savior would say, it's all of him, nothing of me. It's acknowledging that we can't save ourselves and then acknowledging God's great gift of love and sending Jesus to die, to take our place in suffering for our sin, to be buried, and he was raised from the dead, as we've been singing about this morning, so we could have new life in him and walk with him. You can't even begin to really have peace in the circumstances of life and the stuff that you don't even know is coming or the stuff you think is coming on the horizon until you know Jesus, until you've acknowledged God by saying, I know I'm a sinner, I need a savior, I put my faith in Jesus. If you want peace, it starts there. 
Can I encourage you to have a conversation with somebody on our team about that so we can celebrate with you? Today's the day you put your faith in Christ or we can answer any questions. I'll be out on the patio after the service. I'll talk with you. We have care and prayer team folks who'll be down front. They'll chat with you after the service. Or if you're joining us online or here in the room, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen and we'll just send you some resources that will help you know what it means to have the peace of God through Christ as your savior. You text that name Jesus to the number below me on the screen and we'll also have somebody on our team follow up with you this week so you can dialogue, have a conversation with someone about what it means to have Jesus as your savior, the beginning point, the starting point to peace. Worry never acknowledges God, it only ignores him. Look what Jesus says in verse 29. And do not set your heart, don't aim your heart on what you will eat or drink. Well, wait a minute, that's pretty important. Isn't that pretty important what you eat or drink? Then he says, do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. People who don't have God are running after food and water. Well, every human being needs food and water. Doesn't it make sense that we run after food and water? And your father knows that you need these things, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. The point here isn't that water and food aren't important and God somehow misses that. God knows what we need. He knows our needs before we know our needs. The point is that if you pursue the things of God, he's gonna take care of the needs you have in life as they come. But if you obsess and go after the basic needs of life and financial standing and, and, and some sort of structure and peace in your life as the first thing and you leave God out, then you're still gonna be trapped in worry and panic. But when you acknowledge God, and you go to God first. Oftentimes when we have troubles on the horizon, we worry, worry, worry. We start to go through the storm and we panic and we try and try. And when the, like the, we're, we're going under for the third time, then we decide it's time to pray. What he's trying to say is, don't worry and develop this pattern of worry about what's on the horizon or what you're experiencing. Start with God. Seek his eternal kingdom, his values, who he is, and the things of this life will fit in place after that, even down to food, water, and clothes. I love the command here. We, we saw it earlier when he said in verse 22, do not worry about your life. Now here in verse 29, we have him saying, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry. This worry is a different word from the word worry used by Jesus in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, even the stuff we're reading today, it's a matter of fact, this word for worry in the New Testament Greek is used nowhere else in the New Testament. It's actually where we get our word meteor from. And it's a verb that means don't meteorize your life. Well, what is a meteor? In the ancient world, what were they thinking? To them, the objects they saw in the sky that moved a little weren't shooting stars and weren't fixed stars. They would see what we now know they were observing as meteors, and that's where we get the name for them, but they saw them as being suspended and stuck. They weren't falling and they weren't stationary, so they were just sort of stuck, and they, they thought those, those things, whatever those objects are that are bright out there, they were considered flawed and problematic and stuck and suspended. They, they, they couldn't be one or the other. And so he's saying, don't let your life get stuck in worry. Don't get suspended. And some of us get so shackled and so trapped by our worry. So how do we, how do we, what's the distinction? Here's the distinction. Don't set your heart on just getting what you need. Set your heart on God and his kingdom and he'll take care of your needs. 
Subtle difference. But if you're all in a panic and worry and anxiety about your relationships, the things you need, the stuff on the horizon, the things that might happen, and that's where your focus is, that's where your focus is, you're going to get stuck and suspended in worry. But when you say, you know what, God? I don't know what's on the horizon, but I know you're with me. I know you know what's coming. You're able to take me through that. You'll be with me. I'm going to look to you. God will give you peace when you start with him and his kingdom. The other stuff will fall in place. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. What is he saying? Okay, you start out, whatever journey it is, whatever question marks are on the horizon, whatever financial trouble you're facing, whatever uncertainty there is, you start out and you acknowledge God. You, you acknowledge him first. You trust the Lord. And you take the step forward and trust him and pursue him and take the next step forward and he will guide your path. We sometimes, especially those of us type A's who live in this area of the greater Canal Valley, we want to have it all mapped out and all planned out perfectly, removing all the question marks on the horizon and that is impossible. But when we take the next right step, then God meets us and he directs our paths. So, so what's the key here? The key is, do the next right thing. You say, oh, all this, uh, Sean, you're right, inflation, gas prices, I drive for work, or housing prices, should we sell, should we not sell, is it time to buy? All these things, you can, you can get into a suspended state of worry. Or you can say, you know what, God, I'm starting with you, I'm gonna trust you, and, and you want me to be responsible to take the next right step. I've been going through some things in my own thinking in life and just going through the stuff we've gone through all together and the pandemic and the political struggles and stress of our day. And, and, and I've been kind of trying to say, okay, Lord, what about this? What about this? And trying to figure out the future. And the Lord has just been saying to me for about three or four weeks, Sean, just take the next right step. Do the next right thing. Don't panic about 50 steps out from now. Boy, again, for those of us who are control freaks, maybe I'm the only one in the room. That's not easy. My dad flew back with me, he's with us, he'll fly back to, tomorrow to uh, the Midwest. We flew from Chicago a Friday ago. And um, we were on two separate confirmations because he was flying with me here and he's gonna fly with my daughter back. And um, the plane got changed and some other things happened and we ended up separated. Well, my dad can't hear and he refuses to wear his hearing aids. If he's in the room, it doesn't matter because he's not hearing me say that. <laughs> he's just smiling and nodding. He refuses to wear them, but he can't hear anything after 40 years in a factory. And he hates to fly. I hate to fly, but he hates to fly more. So I've pretty much you know, convinced him, drugged him, done everything I can to get him on a plane. <laughs> and they move us to separate parts of the plane. I'm like, oh, no. I call United, and they say, no, you're on separate confirmations. Things have changed. You know, and There's no more seats. We can't move people. And I call them all day that Friday. I was doing other stuff, but I would just go online, see if somebody moved, if a seat opened, I could put us next to each other. And I, I did that like 100 times. And it started early in the morning, and by about noon, the Lord's saying, Sean, just do the next right step. Don't panic. I got this. Trust me. This is a little tiny thing in my life, right? Just, it's not a big thing. But God's saying to me the same thing he's been saying about some of the bigger things in life. And, and he's saying, just trust me. Do the right, right, next right step. So finally, toward the later afternoon, I said, okay, I'm going to just trust you, God, with this. Uh, this we'll just, he'll make it. It'll be okay. He'll make it. I'll check on him during the flight. And if he does something that causes us to have an emergency landing because of something he wrongfully says to the uh, 
stewardesses, I'll just live with that. I'll just trust you through that too, Lord, when the FBI show up at the plane for my father. <laughs> so we get to the gate and still, uh, obviously there's no seats that can be moved or anything. It's all full when I look at it online. And I decide just like 30 minutes before the flight, I decide I'm just going to ask. And I walked up to the desk and I said to this lady, my name is Sean Thornton. My dad's John Thornton. We got separated. We're on separate confirmations. Before I could finish my sentence, she handed me, she said, here, your father's seated next to you. And as I walked away, the Lord just said to me, now it doesn't always work this way, Sean. <laughs> he might have chosen to have it be that I would learn something about the FBI more than I knew. But in this case, as I walked away, he just said, See, just take the next right step and trust me. And some of us are panicked, we're worried, whether it's the politics, whether it's the finances, whether it's our family relationships, whatever's going on, we're in a panic when all we need to do is take the next right step, do the next right thing, and trust God. Fourthly, worry never pleases God, it only grieves him. Worry never ple pleases God, it only grieves him. Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Now, think about this. He has given us the kingdom. When Jesus prayed, Father, your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It wasn't that he was speaking of an invasion of angels or, or, or that he was going to overwhelm this world from the top down, but he was going to send out his disciples to live and love like Jesus, to be beacons of hope and peace in this world. In the midst of the same circumstances, people would see a different attitude, a different spirit. Yes, there would be courage. Yes, there would be bravery. Yes, there would be a stand for truth and righteousness. Yes, there would be an extension of love, but people would see us as the beacons of hope and peace. And unfortunately, in our world, all too often, we are seen as the people who are in panic. And we need to be the people who are of peace because we are not of this temporary world. We are of the eternal kingdom. We are pilgrims passing through. Our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. And it grieves God. It doesn't please him when we are in a panic and worried. You know, it says here, do not be afraid. Then he says, little flock. He actually says, little, little flock. Which can be in Greek, when you do something like that, it, it, it can be a diminutive. Like he's making fun of them. You little, little. You know, we kind of do that. You puny thing, you know, something. But actually what he's saying is, it's more of a term of affection as he uses it. You are a little group. And now I think he's ignoring the bigger crowd and he's looking right at his disciples who are in the inner ring as he speaks about the sermon, as he shares the Sermon on the Mount. You're just a few. But don't be worried. Don't be in a panic. Because you're of the kingdom that's going to last forever. You don't have to panic even if you're overwhelmed and outnumbered. You don't have to panic He's given you the kingdom to live it out. So we need to embrace God's kingdom even when we can't see his throne. Sometimes we want to see evidence of the power structures that God has and that God is taking over that, yes, he's in charge. It's through our lives as we submit to him and his word and his spirit's will in our lives. It is through us that that peace and that hope can be seen. But if you're looking for a place that's obviously this is where God is in control and he's bringing everything down. No, he says it's going to be the other way. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for 
and assurance about what we do not see, Hebrews 11.1 1 says. Later, the Pharisees are going to make fun of Jesus just a few months after he does this Sermon on the Mount where he talks about his eternal kingdom and how we are children of his kingdom. And there is this clash between the values of this world and the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God. The Pharisees are going to say to him, where's your throne room? Where's your kingdom? Hey, we don't see your palace. And they're mocking him. And he says, oh, you know, don't go looking for my kingdom. You're not going to find it that way. It's already here. It's been lived out through me and my followers. And when he says, hey, little flock, don't worry. You are just 12, but God has given you the kingdom to live out. And we may just be several hundred. On this day, a couple thousand gathered together. Online, it'd be more than a couple thousand. But we've been given the kingdom. Why do we panic? Why do we worry about the things of this temporary world? We need to not be overwhelmed by the temporary stuff of this world and the things that might happen. We need to be obsessed with God's kingdom, what he is doing in and through it. Fifth and finally, worry never liberates me. It only shackles me. Worry just puts more chains on us, shackles us, locks us down, cripples us. We can't sleep. We get physically upset, can even lower our immunity, destroy our closest relationships, hurt the people we love the most. Worry never liberates me, it only shackles me. Luke 12, 33 through 34, Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Why does he all of a sudden talk about giving, caring for others? He's saying, yes, you need food and water, and God knows that. He said, remember, God knows your need. But you pursue his kingdom, he'll take care of your needs. What's one way we pursue his eternal kingdom? We invest in people. We do that collectively through our offerings as a church. We do that as we give to, to the needs of others through the causes we support. But as we invest in others, we are not obsessed with what we need or what we want, but we are focused on loving others and giving to others and being generous in Jesus' name that liberates us from the worry. The antidote to worry and anxiety is generosity, love, and care. When we're following his kingdom and we're investing in others and their eternal destiny, when we are investing in people beyond ourselves, our heart Treasure is situated in the eternal, not in the temporary. When we are in a panic and we're worrying about what might happen, we are trapped and shackled to this world and we lose sight of the world that we represent, the kingdom of God that is not temporary, that is eternal. Winston Churchill said, when I look back on all these worries, I remember the story of the old man who said on his deathbed that he had a lot of trouble in his life, most of which never happened. We get shackled by fear and worry. What do we do? Instead of being shackled, 
by worrying. Invest in God's kingdom even when you can't control his response. Even when you say, okay, I'm giving, but you don't give so you get. You give because it is good and right and it is of the eternal kingdom. You don't give so that you can get recognition or so you can get your needs met. He'll take care of that because of who he is, not because of what you do. Invest in God's kingdom even when you can't control his response. Let's, let's break this down simply again. When we are overwhelmed with the temporary stuff of this world and the things that might happen, we are then crushed and controlled by worry, anxiety, and fear. But when we are obsessed with God and his eternal kingdom and what he is doing, and we invest in that, our heart is situated because our treasure is situated in the heavenly eternal things, we are freed from worry and anxiety and panic. Let me ask you, is your life marked by panic or peace? Is your life marked by panic or peace? What would your neighbors say? What would your friends say? What would the people online say? Oh yeah, that's a person of peace. Doesn't mean you don't have stands and you don't have a love, but is there a panic or a peace? We don't have to panic. We're a part of an eternal kingdom that is not gonna be shaken by anything that happens tomorrow. As a matter of fact, our God knows tomorrow, is present in tomorrow, and is all-powerful tomorrow just as much as he is today and he was yesterday. You know, maybe this, this little chart will help you. It's, it's a thing I came across that I think maybe helps us think through when we should worry. Okay, when should you worry? Well, let's ask this question. Do you have a problem in your life? If the answer is no, I do not have a problem in my life, then the logical conclusion is then don't worry. Right? All right, okay, let's go back and ask the question again. Do you have a problem in your life? Let's say the answer is yes. Oh, okay. Then it kind of leads to a second question. Can you change it? Okay, let's say no, you can't change it. You don't control any of the variables. So then what happens? Then don't worry, because you can't change it. All right, let's go back to this question. Can you change it? Yes, I can change it. I control some of the variables. Then don't worry. What am I missing here? You know what this basically boils down to? Is us letting God be God and us pursuing our God in his kingdom. That brings peace. That brings a settled heart. Michelle is gonna come and sing a song that was written by J.J. Heller and her husband David and their friend Leslie Jordan about two months into the pandemic. It's a song just titled, You Already Know, let me read to you the words of the song she's gonna sing and let them settle into your heart. When you think about the future, the things that might happen, the things that worry you, everything around me seems uncertain. My, heart, my weary heart can't take much more surprise. I wish there was a point on the horizon, something I could see with my own eyes. I need to tell you that I'm scared. I feel completely unprepared and nothing's what it was two weeks ago. But you already know, talking of God, you already know everything I'm scared of, everything I hope. You hold my tomorrow and all tomorrow holds. You already know.